My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. There he is, the man himself, drinking what I believe is an old-fashioned? It is indeed an old-fashioned, my friend. Once I move and I get my own spot, I'm going to, like, get myself a nice bar cart and, like, get all the shit that I need. Because I'm a beer guy, and that's fine. But as my stomach doesn't allow me to eat and drink <laughs> the way that I, because I'm, I'm in good shape, but I know that that's not going to last forever. Yeah. And at some point, I'm going to have to change to a slimmer drink, i.e. booze. <laughs> I think, listen, I, I like beer, but I obviously am always going to choose like a wine or a sake or like a bourbon over that. When I get to my next place too, I definitely want like a bar cart, like make it real official and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks good so far there, kid. Thank you, man. I mean, listen, the nothing... thing is, like, you, you just got to buy all those, like, bitters and shit, like, once, right? And then it lasts forever. Lasts, yeah, it lasts a long time. Yeah, yeah, Unless yeah. you're, like, for some reason, really just, fucking going heavy on the bitters, which I don't know why. For some reason, aka an alcoholic. Yeah, but, like, I mean, you got to use, like, a lot of bitters to yeah. run out of those things. Um. All right. I am fucking excited because this would have been, Snyder cut. This would have been a real bummer if we had to go into this knowing it sucked, right? Like, I... uh. I don't know if you do this with the Washington football team, but when Liverpool play, I will consume post-match content, right? Oh, yeah, with of course. Like podcasts, videos, usually when they win. When they lose, I don't want to fucking hear about it, you know? It's horrible. So the fact that we get to do this after what amounts to a win is super, super exciting. It's, it's much better than like, hey, guys, not only is this not an improvement, it's worse. Right. <laughs> on that note welcome to the post credit podcast we today are tackling the inevitable the mythical the finally long anticipated long awaited finally here snyder cut of justice league eric as of this writing after essentially four years of crazy ridiculous online discourse movie has a 78 percent on rotten tomatoes which is pretty remarkable, all things considered, given the history, the track record, everything involved. I'm curious where that actually ranks in the DCEU, because I'm going to bet you right now that's third place, because it'll be behind Wonder Woman 1, it'll be behind Shazam, it'll be behind Birds of Prey, possibly. I think, man, I don't know. I know how my ranking shakes out. I don't know what the Rotten Tomatoes scores. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Highest rated is Wonder Woman at 93. See, they've righted the ship a bit here. All right. Oh, man, it gets ugly for a period, though. All right. <laughs> There's a stretch that's not so good that we covered in our DC uh, Rewind. Yeah, all right. So, all right. So these are critic scores. Man of Steel, 56. That's fucking atrocious. People have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Suicide Squad, 26%. Too high. <laughs> Batman v Superman, 28 too low justice league 40 percent. i mean these are all over the place but from here they start to balance it out a bit wonder woman 93 percent aquaman 65 percent shazam 90 percent wonder woman 84 59 percent birds of prey 78 so by rotten tomato critic scores this is currently the fourth highest dceu film behind wonder woman one shazam and birds of prey and that's what i said before i looked i just also think rotten tomatoes is such a reductive system for for grading films because it's not like oh this movie received like a 98 percent or like an a minus percent it is the percent of reviews that expressed positive sentiment which is so binary so it's either 
you know, the critic liked it or, or he didn't. And there's so much more nuance to that. That's why I think a, me- a Metacritic does a better job of kind of the weighted total average. Right, right. right. But Eric, I want to ask you, because I certainly have my feelings. What was your mindset going into the Snyder Cut? Because I feel like we both need to be upfront so everyone listening kind of understands our headspace going into this, where we were at, and how that also, whether or not we, we try to be objective, colors what our final opinions are. Okay, so I think if you've tuned into this show before, I made how I feel very clear. And what that was, was it was, in a, it was trying to be aware and appreciative of the moment and the long journey that it's taken to get here. As I've said time and time again, I knew that this film would be better. I didn't know how good it would be, but I knew it'd be better. So because of that, I sort of let go of wanting it to be a mind-blowing film and was okay with it being a competent movie. All I went into it was wanting a competent superhero film. And that is what I got. And not only that, but because I properly set my expectations for the film, I found myself ultimately surprised with its quality. I'm not a Snyder zealot, nor am I a Snyder hater. And I think my opinion of the film just like my feelings of Snyder himself are average. It was a good movie. You saw it before me and I was, and I didn't want you to tell me your thoughts because I you didn't was want more... me to taint you. That was really what it was. Like this fucking asshole with his bullshit. No, because I respect your uh, opinion and I know that what you're saying is probably valid. So if you were to undercut whatever, you know, it's sort of like Schrodinger's cat, right? At that moment, <laughs> well it was said. neither good nor bad. Yeah. It, it was all potential. So you adding weight to it would have changed that. So that said, I didn't want you to tell me how you felt because I was worried of how that would affect my viewing. And you put it most succinctly. And despite the fact that this film has taken four years to get made and it's four hours long and it's it's not only a complicated on-screen plot, but it's a complicated behind-the-screens project. It's a good movie. That is the best way to describe it. That's what you told me. You were like, pretty good. And that is what this is. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, as you know, and as everyone who listens to our pod knows, I'm lower on Snyder than you, but certainly not a Snyder hater nor a Snyder zealot, but still, again, lower than you. You know, Man of Steel, I think it is like a B minus, BVS, much like you. I like the first 45 minutes. After that, it just goes off the rails completely and utterly. Uh, and like, you know. Yeah, Warehouse scene's great, but I, I still think BVS overall has more bad than good. For sure. And and so I, I have not been a huge fan of Snyder's output. And as you know, I'm just so sick of the fucking discourse and bullshit surrounding right. it. So I was, and I hated all the marketing, which which we talked about on this pod. So I was going to this very low, still not a Snyder hater. I don't root for any superhero movie to be bad because I love superheroes. And I walked away pleasantly surprised. Pretty decent movie. That's That was my takeaway. And I, I was happy that I was pleasantly surprised. I was happy and overjoyed that this wasn't just a massive turd in a different form than the theatrical version because it fixed a lot of things that I wanted fixed. And while I still had major problems with it throughout the course, and we're going to actually debate a lot of it, you walk away being like, you know what? Even though that was a four-hour cow, not bad. Not fucking bad, Mr. Snyder. I've watched it four times. Watched it four times, Eric? Well, uh, to be fair, 
two of those times were like in the background while I worked. Today, as I was trying to get my notes for the podcast, I had it on. So I was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Let me ask you this, B. And this is not to, you know, S my own D here, a fantastic question. <laughs> how hit, many- Hit me with your fantastic ego stroking question. How many Avengers films is the Snyder Cut better than? I'd say, I, I, I'd say two of them. I'd say zero. Wow, really? I'd still say zero. That is, that is inconsistent with what you just said. I still think Avengers uh, Age of Ultron is my least favorite. And I think so it's, you don't think that this is better than that? I think this has moments where it's better than it. And I think Avengers Age of Ultron has moments where it's far better than this. Okay, see, you I, know, I, I think that scene where they're all hanging out Avengers Tower after the uh, party is one of the best scenes in all of the Avengers movies. Now, the movie surrounding it, of course, in Ultron isn't very good, but do I get that same feeling with anything in Justice League that I do there? No, but that's also a little bit skewed because we had, you know, six, seven years, eight years of uh, MCU storytelling to, to kind of lead into that moment. Okay, so yeah, I think it's better than the first two Avengers films. That's why this is gonna make a good discussion because I still liked it, like I said, pretty decent, but you liked it much more than I did. Okay, fair enough. All right, so as I've said now a million times, you liked it more than I did, but let's let's start off on some positives and then kind of skew in a little bit of negatives. For me, I thought while the expanded running time, which we will dig into more in a second, was clearly bloated and dragging at, at very many intervals, the number one biggest benefit is character development because whereas the original felt stitched together by Edward Scissorhands in which only Batman and Super, uh, Superman and like Wonder Woman were really kind of getting any shine and everyone else felt like, oh, quick scene, got to introduce. Oh, quick scene, they're joining the team. Oh, oh, oh. It felt so scattershot. This actually allows the space for Cyborg, Flash, who I still think is miscast terribly, and uh, Aquaman to just be flushed out a little bit, to be textured in a little bit. They're all in their own way dealing with cultural or familial issues that shape how they see, they see themselves, how they see their responsibility to others. And it colors in their approach when joining this team to fight for the world. And I thought that was really good. I thought that was really interesting stuff. And I think, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, the biggest beneficiary is Cyborg, who I is, think is a character in every single medium I've ever seen him in, is just relentlessly boring. And here, finally, I was kind of converted. I'm like, oh, I see what you were going for. I see what's interesting there. So my number one takeaway is that finally the Justice League feel like a collection of individual members who learn how to be a team rather than this is Warner Media's blockbuster team up that's supposed to make a billion dollars. So my sort of big picture thoughts, positive wise, are chapter one, I was legitimately blown away. Like, I, I could not believe how good it was, particularly when it came to establishing both the scale of the plot and the characters that inhabit that plot. Superman's death, Bruce recruiting Arthur, Diana saving those kids and kicking absolute ass, the Amazons battling Steppenwolf. This is all in chapter one, and it was amazing. It signaled to me that, what I hoped most from this film is, was going to be present throughout, and that is reverence. And what, what do I talk about when I mean reverence? All of those little vignettes, Lois Lane going to Superman's grave, the Flash saving Iris West, Aquaman walking out onto that jetty under waves that would crush any normal man. 
Superman choosing his black suit. Are they completely superfluous scenes? Absolutely. But do they frame these icons as heroically as possible? Yes. Every character is given the room that they need to be themselves, to live up to, and to bask in their myth. Snyder takes a lot of fucking time. This is a long movie. There are glory shots galore in this that you don't need. But after a while, that is what builds up that makes you understand that these characters are fucking titans. Now, while nothing in this film is perfect, I don't think anything bottoms out. I think its lows are actually far higher than BVS. Yes. Uh, I think I definitely like this film better. And considering that the original Justice League made me feel physically ill, the fact that I've watched this one four times in a few days, that is an unbelievable turnaround in and of itself. And then finally, the return of Hans Zimmer's beautiful Superman score with some new you know, tricks to it. You love to see it. (laughs) You do. And I think both of our comments segue nicely into, I think, one of the main talking points, which is the running time. And of course, we've now commented on it, but I think it deserves a deeper exploration because not only is it a huge uh, selling point to diehard fans who are pumped for it, but it's also a stumbling block for people who are on the fence. So my take on the running time, which again is four hours, is that to me, it's, it's Eric, it's pretty fascinating that Zack Snyder's Justice League's greatest strength may also be its greatest weakness. To reiterate a little bit of what I just said, they add the added running time is great for character development, and as such, it also extends to the plot. Very strangely and crazily, which I never would have guessed, this is Zack Snyder's most coherent and cohesive DC movie at four hours. I don't know how it's possible, but it is. Ray Fisher Cyborg, like I said, absolutely emerges as the heart of the film. Ezra's Miller, Ezra Miller's Flash is better understood. Even J- Jason Momoa's Aquaman comes across as more of an authentic outsider of two worlds than the kind of dude bro he was in the theatrical version. I love seeing Batman once again quarterbacking the entire Justice League. In. He's the one putting it all together. He's putting his brilliant intellect to use. And they're also being very fair about saying like, hey, physically Batman can't really do shit here. So he has to be the, the mental quarterback of it all, which I really liked. But in, in, I love that the world building and the history of this universe is all improved. And we will certainly get into that more specifically, but it's a double-edged sword. At four hours, it is so bloated and so overstuffed with a number of scenes that could be easily cut without losing anything on the bottom line. I think you said it really well, Eric. It does help frame characters very well, but it's also unnecessary because there's a lot of repetition. I I think the prologue and especially the first act that you love so much has several repetitive introductions, almost like Suicide Squad, where it's like, okay, this person gets a highlight reel, this person gets a highlight reel. And I brought this up to you in a text. Under the constrained timeline in which Warner Bros. wanted to catch up to Marvel and have Snyder churn out this story, what else is he supposed to do? Listen, I'm not going to excuse his storytelling just because there was a corporate mandate to me, you know? Because at the same time, we've seen other creators make it work. And also, I just think there are ways to more efficiently handle this. So especially here in the Zack Snyder Justice League cut, there are multiple status updates or check-ins for the in-film goals over the first half, like assembling the team, like investigating who the threat is. And it's just so unnecessary and repetitive. 
like you said, there's a lot of superfluous shots and information and it's cool, but it, there's also a lot of needless aesthetic flourishes that just pad the clock. I personally think there's a even better two hour 15, two hour 20 minutes. Yeah, I have wrote, wrote down here 2.30. Could they have gotten it done in 2.30? Even then, I think you're, you're a little overcooked, but, but there's, there's Justice a good- Justice League, man, come on. I know, but I think at this point, the with so many false days, starts. Yeah, you're av- right. You're right. But the, the the amount of false starts of the DCEU, to me, was I, I considered 230. I was like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm putting you guys on the clock. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's fair. You know, I totally agree. You know, but I, uh, you know, there's some, like the scene in between the middle action set piece where they go to save Cyborg's dad. And when they go to dig up, superman's grave the time in between that where they're at bruce wayne's hangar talking about their plan way too fucking long there's just no need for it to take that long so and, long. I, and i hear you but as i've been saying length creates depth depth creates not always length does not necessarily equate but but it does here it does here in spots not always and to that end that is why i think the only way that this film could have existed to this extent of quality is if it's this long. I think if you're, especially considering the filmmaker, asking, it's like trying to stick a square peg in a, a round hole. You can shave it down and to try to make it fit the best you can. Ultimately, you're trying to force something that isn't meant to be. Snyder is that not- he capable. shouldn't be doing the film in the first place if he can't do it. That's, exactly, that's not- and I'm going to get to that later. I'm going to get to that later. I like that. I like where you're heading. So is that your take on the running time ultimately? I totally understand the complaints. I felt it myself, but at the same time, I am given what we went through and we've seen how bad this can go at two hours and 15. I'm fine with letting him take his sweet ass time. You know, if it was shitty and long, that's one thing. But the fact that I am (laughs) relatively satisfied with the end product gives him more leeway to do that shit. And for how high of a kind of bar I am holding it to, I do have to concede that the benefits of an HBO Max, of a streaming service, means that you can have a a longer project or a non-traditionally length project like this because there there are no restraints. It's not, hey, we got to funnel people in and out of a theater every X amount of hours. So I, I understand why it is what it is. But now I want to move into the differences and or similarities between the theatrical version of 2017 and the Snyder Cut. Because I think here is perhaps where we diverge the most. And I want to really understand your opinion and vice versa to see if we can kind of find some common ground. Because to me, and again, I do want to preface this with like, hey, this is pretty solid overall. It's cohesive. It's coherent. It's got good character development. It's got way better action. But to me, Zack Snyder's Justice League is a more artfully composed elongation of the theatrical version's major plots. Of course, there's a ton of minor differences. There's updated old scenes. There's a few new touches. But it is largely the same skeleton that follows through on the same general plot outline with many of the same character beats. You know, the inflection points of both the story and the characters largely remain the same. It's done better, of that there is no doubt, But to me, it's more of a renovation and not a reconstruction. And based on what we've said in text to each other, you feel the opposite. I was just, (laughs) my dumbass. I was just about to say, this is how lost in the fucking sauce I am. I was just about to say, just like I called Dr. Strange showing up in WandaVision. (laughs) 
<laughs> Whoops. Yeah, please say that so our listeners can uh, hear it loud and clear. Whoops. I, I called this one because I brought it up on the show and I wrote a post on it for Bro Bible. And it was the improvements that I expected to see. And you and I talked about this. And I think every single one of these came true except for one, which is ironic because of the one that it is. So first, I had the aesthetic and the CGI, which said shortly, it's just the general look. Yeah, but but that that I'm not arguing. The color grading and everything here is is vastly improved and clearly miles different from the like the blood orange melt your eyes of Joss Whedon's cut. Next, I had the tone. Again, I'd say the tone was a massive step up. The sort of respect for these characters dude looking back on that scene where he has the flash land on top of wonder woman like these aren't fucking jesters dude like these aren't your it's not slapstick like what are we what are we doing here these are and as i'll get into later when i have one of my trademark spiels (laughs) every society and culture has myths greek norse gods romans japanese chinese everyone has them comic book heroes are very much American myths. They are American legends. And that 100%. is what and that is what Snyder understands and what Whedon didn't. Because of that, the tone was greatly improved. The villain, we knew that was coming. That one was obvious. Both his look and his general motivations and goals and uh, his backstory and all that shit. Cyborg's arc. That's another one that we saw coming from a mile away. The idea of him coming to terms with that, yes, his father turned him into a monster, but he only did it out of love. And him coming to that realization as his father goes, you know, the the old, you don't know what you got till it's gone, is a tried and true emotional arc. And here it worked. Finally, the scale and the sense of wonder, as I keep saying, reverence, reverence, reverence. (laughs) That's what this is, right? All of these extra shots of our heroes simply looking heroic as fuck was a major step up for me. Now, here's the one that I was wrong about. I expected the Batmaning to improve, which I can't say it did. The Bruce Waning improved. Bruce Waning was great, but I liked that they were real about like, okay, Bats, you really can't help in this situation. I know, but 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 you're the master. But Batman in in the third act, running around, firing an alien gun, just doesn't do it for me. This is Batman, you know. I'm sure he would have figured out a more tangible way to contribute. Yes, he, as you said perfectly, quarterbacks the whole thing. But just in terms of considering that the nightmare scene is my favorite part of BVS, and how I say that that's perhaps like we are so diverse. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. Not nightmare, warehouse scene. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With the warehouse scene being my favorite part in BBS and what I think to be the best cinematic depiction of Batman in action ever, I wanted something like that again. I guess it's true that he does not get his half court shot attempt in this. You know, he really is just the mental side of it and he does not get to whoop any ass like whatsoever. So I'll I'll concede that. I I like that they were realistic about it, but that doesn't mean four hours they couldn't have figured out one scene to give them, you know? So I'll concede that. Yeah, but, you know, otherwise, I think that the improvements could be boiled down to those five or six things. The color and and just the look, Cyborg's arc, 
the respect and reverence for the league itself, the tone and the villain. I think yeah. overall, those sort of five legs are what right. built this film into the project that it is. Well, I disagree about the villain outside of character design. I have many of the same elements in terms of biggest beneficiaries, biggest winners of the Zack Snyder Justice League. And I, I, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I, we got to go back to Cyborg again because it's really remarkable. Again, I don't think Ray Fisher's the greatest actor in the world. That's no disrespect. I could never be in a fucking movie, period. Um, but, I, and like I said, I, I never find Cyborg, the character in any medium, interesting. But here, he really does emerge as the heart of the film with a really dedicated, well-built arc. And I think it's worth exploring why it's so effective. I, I love that he struggles with his new reality. He believes himself to be this monstrosity. And on top of that, he's fighting previous fam family issues that shape how he sees himself and his self-esteem and his self-consciousness. So his quest for internal acceptance is not only well-founded, but it also mirrors the team's transition from strangers with a lot of infighting throughout the movie to kind of brothers and sisters at arms. So I think that it's really impressive that his arc ultimately is the one that kind of unifies everyone. He is the character that is the biggest glow up between the two versions. And finally, you know, at the end, when he says his great line, I am not broken, his self-acceptance, it is also when the team has truly come together beyond any shadow of a doubt. You know, they are not disparate strangers. They are the Justice League in that moment. And I think he is the catalyst for that, which I love. Uh, like you said, the action in this is so much improved. And I wrote in my piece for Observer, which you can check out, and I got a ton more pieces coming today and throughout this weekend, that it boasts this almost this video game-like fluidity to me, Eric, in the, in the motion and the physicality. And I think the greatest boost between versions is probably Wonder Woman, whose powers and capabilities here look bad fucking ass, even though, you know- Yes, dude, preach. She's even, my favorite part of yeah, the whole film. She, I, I mean, her scene with the terrorist early on is so much better here, looks so much cooler. Josh Everything Whedon about is it. a war criminal. <laughs> I think another element that's improved is the world building. I really don't like the nightmare sequences and we'll get to why, but there's no doubt that obviously here in expanded form, they pay off on a tease in BVS. Again, I don't like either, but the fact is if you set something up, you got to pay it off. And that counts for a lot of people who did like it. More than that, I think the flashback with the men and the gods and the Green Lanterns and the Amazonians and the Atlanteans fighting, and we get clips of a kind of apocalypse and we get the whole history of what Dark Side's even about even though, again, we'll segue into it a little bit about his motivation that doesn't work for me. But all of that combined, it gives it this more mythic feel, like you said. It gives it more reverence. It gives us this elevated sense of importance, not self-aggrandizing, but earned. Because these are characters eight, seven, six decades in the making that are finally on screen together and storylines that are finally the culmination of comic book passion. So that I think is a great, great benefit. And then just lastly, quickly, the DCEU. Canon or not, WB's extremely lucrative and expensive shared franchise continuity is a more interesting space for people like us that analyze it for a living with a decent Justice League movie in its ranks. So we're talking about biggest winners now, right? Yeah. All right, so first, the fans. 
The original Justice League, the letdown of that was so extreme. And, and I've written this over and over again. It feels like something was taken from us. Like something was stolen from us. Like these are characters that, and Man of Steel I loved. And BVS was okay, but I was still worried, but I was still on board. Justice League being such an atrocious disaster when it was meant to be a film that I've been looking forward to for what amounts to my entire adult life was devastating. I know you've had your problems with a certain sect of fans and I am totally sensitive to not just your experiences, but writ large of everybody who's had to deal with that shit. I totally get it. But without the fans, this does not happen. And ultimately it's because of that passion that you and I are sitting here doing what's going to be an hour and a half podcast talking about Batman and Superman and these characters that we adore having been served pun intended justice. The next big winner, as I've said, the Justice League themselves, particularly you're big on Cyborg, I'm big on Flash and Wonder Woman. I think that Flash will get into Flash, but I like the way that Zack Snyder tries to imbue his almost cosmic powers with like elegance is like gorgeous to me and beautiful and really affecting. I can't wait to talk about that flash scene. Next, Zack Snyder and director's cuts in general. Ridley Scott has been tweaking Blade Runner (laughs) for 40 years at this point. You know what I mean? The director's cut is a steeped Hollywood tradition. But now in DC too. I mean, Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 is excellent. So now that we're in the age of streaming, directors may, that we may be getting two versions of films going forward. They'll put one out in theaters and then you've got to sign up for Disney plus for the four hour Iron Man four, you know, like shit (laughs) like that. So I, and as a consumer and as a creator, those are both wins. Next, the humor, even though some of the jokes are the exact same, they work this time around because they don't feel as crammed in. They actually feel natural. Comedy is timing. For example, the Bruce Barry meeting much better. Much better. No stupid brunch thing. No stupid brunch thing, which I have wrote down, but because of the balance of the tone, whereas in the Joss cut, it felt like, oh, here's another comedic scene being shoved down our fucking throat. This time around, it it comes after two hours of like epic world building drama. So you're like, oh, this is a nice change of pace. Another one. The first time Barry lays eyes on Diana, the first thing he says is, Oh my goodness. <laughs> Which is every guy's reaction. Which is hilarious. Like that was, I was literally crying laughing. Like this is the first time he sees her and they're sort of on like this like elevator type thing. So he can't see her until they are sort of at the same height. And the first <laughs> thing he just says, is he's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Which is, you know, that's a great fucking joke. Next, the score. When Flash tips the sword to Diana when Superman is brought back to life, the song choices for the vignettes, when Barry is traveling through time, they all do a great job of conveying the epic scope and scale. One more, sorry, Brandon, I I got a lot here. The action, is it revolutionary? No, but the 20 minute-ish long set piece in the middle of the film where they infiltrate Steppenwolf's lair and fight as a team for the first time to save Victor Stone's father, which is what used to be Batman's awful save one person speech. I actually like that speech. Oh God. Well, I'm not even going to. It conveys a good message. This time around, that is a legitimately thrilling action set piece. You have a good sense of space and where all 
the characters are and what their goals are and how they each contribute to the team and fit as a piece. Think about the scenes of Wonder Woman kicking absolute ass, taking it to Steppenwolf's fucking neck. The Flash hilariously learning how to apply his powers to battle for the first time. Like, I'm pretty sure that this is the first time that he in his life has been in battle where he's like dodging and he's like daintily pushes that guy and he goes flying through the door. Cyborg providing an emotional core because he's trying to save his dad, even though we've spent the last hour with him resenting his dad. Aquaman showing up to save the day in badass fashion. All of these incredible moments building on top of each other. This is what the DCEU has missed the entire time. There you go, man. Woof. Take a bow after that one. I have these fucking winners, and I didn't realize how many I have. Now, conversely, for biggest losers, I'm going to just stick to one because there are negatives I'm going to hit throughout the rest of this podcast. And I so I don't want to get it repetitive, but it's going to be a, a diametrically opposed to you because my biggest loser is easily Ezra, Ezra Miller's Barry Allen. I think he goes from a relatively innocuous joker from the theatrical version, no pun intended, to this neurotic drag and, and distraction in this. I think the pet store scene paints him like he is incapable of normal human function whatsoever. And it is legitimately grating as a kind of character choice. I think the actual way the movie uses him, which is not Ezra Miller's fault, is really detrimental. He's used twice, essentially, as a super-sized battery charger, which is repetitive and boring and lazy. And just finally, I don't understand how someone who runs at light speed is the only one who gets hurt. And not only that, gets shot twice. It's just absurd. So I think from both Ezra Miller's performance, which which I was relatively okay with in the original because I still think his Superman resurrection scene is hilarious, to the way he runs as if he's trying to do the freestyle stroke on land, to the way the script uses him and positions him, it, it all really does not work for me. And it actually has lowered my excitement for the Flash solo movie a little bit. Well, you get that they're trying to portray that his mind moves just as fast as he does, right? Like, even he can't keep up with his thoughts. Like, that's sort of supposed to be his vibe. I, I get that, but no other Barry Allen has ever been that grating, okay. neurotic, uh, self-conscious, ridiculous, annoying, gotcha, and gotcha. Okay. All right, so my biggest losers. Joss Whedon. This man ha! is a... This- this man, and I mean that in the literal definition of the word, this man is a fucking loser. He is a megalomaniac. Some of the choices that he made are so inexplicable that they could only be boiled down to an ego trip or a personal vendetta against Zack Snyder. I simply don't understand how he caught and replaced some of the things that he did. Next. Warner Bros slash DC Films. They just had some patience and taken their time and built the DCEU the right way. Man of Steel, Man of Steel 2, solo Batman film, or even if they wanted Batman v Superman with more of a Batman focus. Wonder Woman and then Justice League. I think we would be sitting here today if they went that route with a very different DCEU. And finally, and this is going to bum you out, Superman. It's not going to bum me out, actually. While hardcore comic book fans may respect Snyder's flirtation with an evil Superman, it's hard to see how that would ever translate to the masses. Man of Steel was docked enough as is for its emo vibe. 
you could only imagine what the response would be if he went to full-on bad guy. Also, given the sort of destined-to-be-evil trajectory that he seemed to be on, it doesn't appear like Man of Steel 2 was ever a consideration. Like, when would they have squeezed that in? So, to me, and I think it's based on the context of how much I like the original Henry Cavill Superman performance, but through BVS and this, Superman comes out as a big loser. Eric, there's a lot there that I agree with. And if I was going to answer, I might honestly do it in essay form, which reminds me of this dope contest we are in where you can win a ton of money just writing about film and TV, which is the dream. Good, because as you know, while this is a entertainment show, we talk a lot about gambling on it. And with March Madness coming, I can already predict that I'm going to have a lot of losses to recoup. But what's great about this contest is it is way easier than gambling because it's creative writing. You control it. That's actually sort of how I became a writer in the first place. I always preferred in school writing papers than taking tests because I always felt like the answers were right there in front of me. Yeah, I agree. And this contest is pretty much like that. It is an if this, then that movie or TV recommendation. So for example, if any of you out there love Zack Snyder's Justice League, go watch Man of Steel. If you love The Sopranos, then watch Yellowstone. Like right now I'm writing, if you love Lost, then watch Dark. And honestly, Eric, I think I have a pretty good chance of winning, not only because I'm a better writer than you, but because I am clearly a better gambler than you. Dude, if I win first place, not only will I wipe out my gambling debts for the month, but for my entire life. The first place prize is $10,000, Brandon. $10,000, that's seven stimmies. Second place is $2,500, and third place is $1,000. And not only can you get paid out, but if you're looking to break into the entertainment writing field, this is the perfect way to do it because you get published on an established site writing about something you love. So there is literally no downside. All you got to do, head over to vocal.media. You click on the challenges option at the top. You select if this, then that challenge. Now you're going to need a premium membership to enter the contest, which is just $4.99 per month. But that is a drop in the bucket compared to a $10,000 first place prize, people. The contest closes on Tuesday, March 30th. So make sure to get yourself signed up and entered before then. And please don't take If You Like Batman, then watch more Batman because that's my idea. All right, Eric. Now back to what we were just talking about, which is kind of the main holy trinity. That's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Now, to me, BVS was too overstuffed because it's a combination of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight. It's introducing Batman and Lex and Wonder Woman. It's incorporating Death of Superman storylines. We can't change the past, unfortunately, as much as I've tried. But I do think doing Death of Superman in A Man of Steel 2 would have been better because at the end of the day, neither Justice League, a blockbuster crossover team-up, eight decades in the making for these characters, as much of Superman, like you said. And I think that's a problem. You know, 85% of a movie without Superman is a wasted opportunity for a Justice League film. You know, either resurrect him before Justice League or do it quicker in both versions. Now, I understand, of course, they need to sideline their big gun like X-Men movies incapacitating Professor X, but it's a problem for me. It's a really big drawback for me here. Superman barely interacts with anyone from the Justice League on a human level in this entire four-hour yeah. film. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And it's it's hard for me personally to love a Justice League film that does this because, as you know, I'm a huge Superman film. And I think on a kind of grand level through all of their stories, his innate 
boy scout goodness is always a nice check and get balance against the league's inherent power and then when i think back on some of the kind of go-to justice league comics like a, a kingdom come uh, a justice league uh, of america new world order a justice league the sixth dimension where superman looms so large as a figure it's hard for me to get past his absence which creates a very tangible void in this film i will say however that his not impressed was absolutely fucking awesome just a perfect opening line loved everything about it just just a great entrance but yeah otherwise big problem for me superman for me it's tough right because what i enjoyed about man of steel the most and i think it could be boiled down to the scene where he's trying to fly up through the force of the world engine is that superman is choosing to do these things in spite of himself right like he is he is being heroic on his own terms nobody's forcing him to it would probably be easier for him if he didn't but he still does and that is to me the power of him in this case while they try to hammer home with the uh voice overs for his dad do this for humanity show them the way because of what you just said because of his disconnection with humanity itself you don't feel that sort of same hopefulness that man of steel had here he's like a terminator zombie that is completely detached from the very humanity he's trying to save terminator zombie is a good a good term so, i like that so I, I i i and that is why i am not a fan of the nightmare like if this franchise would have kept going i think you know the idea of having Superman be a bad guy is a flat out poor choice. Yeah, but my thing is, it's a Justice League movie in which Superman doesn't know the majority of the Justice League members. You gotta remember, within the DCEU timeline, he has come face to face with Bruce Wayne four or five times maximum at this point. He, he crushed his car. He talked, to him at, he, he, he talked to him at the party. He fought him. And then uh, the resurrection and the the end of the the movie where he saves his farm, which he should have right. done in the first place. So it's it's basically five times he's ever met this guy. Let alone Barry Allen, you know Arthur Curry, uh, you know only one or two instances with him talking to uh, to uh, Wonder Woman. So I just don't understand how the most integral member of the team is left on the sidelines so long, has no human interaction with them, no kind of development to their dynamic and relationship and no impact on the team itself other than physical he is supposed yeah. to be the moral compass of the dceu and the justice league here like you said terminator zombie perfect term yeah so we are on the same page when it comes to soups wonder woman the rehabilitation of her is unbelievable you know as i said before not only did joss have her have flash like run into her tits but there was that scene where aquaman sits on her lasso of truth and it's just like you're so fucking hot like dude this is wonder woman like this, this is a this is of all of them she's the only literal fucking god in the group <laughs> treated with some goddamn respect so with that said her action literally every physical thing she does whether it be in battle against red Ed shirts or in battle against Steppenwolf and Superman or simply just standing still looking heavenly as all fuck is electric. The Justice League would be screwed without her, both in terms of resilience and in terms of physical challenge. They wouldn't be able to stand a chance against any of the threats that they come up against unless they had her. And the film makes that explicitly clear. 
Let me ask you this, just to show how far we've strayed from God's path. <laughs> Does she use her sword once in Wonder Woman 84? I don't think so. All right, that's it right there. All of the coolest shit that she does in this is when she's chopping people's fucking heads off and cutting through people and being a, a force of nature. Not only a force of nature, but a weapon of war. That is what she is. She is a warrior. And in this film, they absolutely crush that. And I want to say, and I mentioned this to you in a text, it's, it's obviously a nitpick. I understand that it's just like, guys, shut up. But still, it's a good point. Yeah, it, the power scaling in the DCU bothers me because there is no fathomable way that Wonder Woman could capably and admirably lose one-on-one to Superman and two Steppenwolf while still getting in some shots and then struggle with Cheetah. It's yeah. just asinine, you know? Yeah, like, come on, guys. Right. She's fighting all powerful aliens and then she's, you know, struggling with a pissed off cat. Come on. Yeah. And then finally for my boy bats, as I said at the top, it's a great movie for Bruce Wayne uniting and inspiring the team, leading the team, rediscovering his ability to believe in good. And bantering with Alfred. I'll give him that. Right, Banter in general, even flirting. He's got his swagger back, you know? But in terms of the actual Batmaning, especially when compared to the warehouse scene, is underwhelming. I also want to ask you a question. Did Batman's voice modulator sound different and worse here than it did in BVS? Because I just kept thinking, like, what's going on? It doesn't sound the same. I think it's friendlier now. (laughs) It might be. It's less evil Batman, because back then it was like gravelly robot. Now it's just like normal robot. All right, let's go on to the other characters that we see here. You know, your Aquamans, your Flashes, your Cyborgs, your your cameos of Martian Manhunter. I've kind of already touched on what I feel about Aquaman and Flash and, and, and Cyborg, the good and the bad. I just want to say, I thought the Martian Manhunter cameo, even though it was expected, was just terrible. Because to me, it makes zero fucking sense that Jean Jones wouldn't help out in the numerous world-ending threats that have faced the DCEU previously. You know, that scene at the end where, he, where he, the reshot scene or the new scene where he's talking to Bruce, he's like, I finally realized that I too need to put myself out there and protect this world. I'm like, my man, this is not the first apocalypse to face the world in like a four-year stretch. This is like number three or four. Where were you? Oh, you were there time? when Superman showed up. Throw on the cape. Like <laughs> Superman almost lost in Man of Steel. The world <laughs> almost ended. Like, you know, you got to get out there. And I also want to say even more so than that, which I guess I could kind of like hand wave away because of plot. They use him for an emotional beat that then is just absolutely undercut by the reveal. I loved the scene between Martha and Lois where Martha expresses to her that they have a kinship because they have the burden of grief on top of a secret of knowing who Superman really was and how Martha implores Lois to come back to the land of the living. And even though Lois is grieving, the world still needs her. And I thought those were really powerful sentiments that made for a wonderful scene between two, you know, regular characters. It revealed the true human cost at the non-stupor level that grounds a film in emotionality. And then revealing that it wasn't even Martha, it was just Martian Manhunter, undercuts that sentiment to me completely. It completely overwhelms any thematic resonance it might have. And just on a literal level like looking way too much into it 
isn't like Lois gonna like text Martha later, later and be like, hey, I just want to say like thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it. And she's gonna be like, girl, what is you talking yeah. about? Uh, what? <laughs> like it's no. just ridiculous for so many reasons that I, I just yeah, really didn't I, like it. I had the same exact notes that it, it to to undercut one of this film's not just emotional scenes because this film has that, but from humans, from yeah, regular it, human it's beings. The only scene that doesn't involve a superhero that matters. Right, exactly. And so then, oh, wait, no, it doesn't. So I have the same notes there. Um, you know, when it comes to Flash, I hear your point. As I said, I think they're trying to convey that his mind moves as fast as his body does and he can't keep up with himself. And despite how annoying he is, I think that he's appropriately annoying. Like, obviously, you have more of a context of based on what you've said who Barry Allen should be. But this is what I imagine a speedster would be like. Their mouth is moving a million miles a minute, you know? I respect that. But like no other iteration of Barry Allen has ever really been like that. And I understand what you mean. Like this is what would happen to a speedster. But man, it's, I mean, like in that pet store scene, like, is that fun for you? Well, that leads me into the pet store scene. You know, of these sort of non-big three Justice League characters, I think that this threesome had some of the film's most beautiful moments. The flash during that scene, the way the window turns into liquid as he pushes his finger through it, the way that the power of his feet destroys the concrete as he's trying to stop, how incredibly delicate he needs to be with Iris because he knows the sheer force of his speed will tear her apart. I I kind of plus with that song which is called cuz I been shazamming up a storm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's called Song to the Siren by the Mortal Coil. Beautiful. And it's not often that you get to say beautiful about films like this. I think it was the review for Roger Ebert uh, I'm not sure who wrote it, but it was that site where it's like, this is what Scorsese was talking about when he said that Marvel are sort of a copy and paste and a anti-cinema that has no definable qualities. This was a cinematic moment without the context of a superhero. I think Ezra Miller does a bad job and I think the script misuses Flash, but I think the actual effects that Zack Snyder uses for Flash super speed is very cool. But that has nothing to do with like the character or the actor or the, right. or the words on the page. And then just sort of continuing with these vignettes and how I think they did great for the characters, particularly the heroes. Aquaman, when he walks out onto those waves and he is walking through the force of nature that would crush any mortal man as Snyder highlights Momoa's very otherworldly features. Like this is a very striking looking man. These are gods walking amongst men and Snyder tries to treat them like that as much as possible. And I think that's portrayed best in these scenes. Bar Cyborg. scene still works. What? Bar scene still works for yep. Aquaman, still works. Cyborg, the mental projection inside of his mind when he's playing the tape of his father, explaining the powers and he's and he's seeing like how he could- That was cool. Send nukes and how he could affect the world's money system and how they sort of projected that was dope. So I just think that, you know, these three characters specifically were one of the weakest parts of the original film because they felt like uh, incongruent add-ons that were shoehorned in. Now, because they're given their reason to breathe, 
characters that are inherently silly, the Flash, Aquaman, Cyborg, you're able to take a step back and 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 truly appreciate their mythic status. All right, then if we're sticking with mythic status, we have to talk about arguably maybe the most otherworldly elements of, of all, and that is the bad guys, specifically Steppenwolf and Darkseid. Uh, to me, you know, going into this, because I, I said it many times, the probably the number one thing I was looking forward to, it was like dark side, dark side, dark side. Can't wait for fucking dark side. Because I just think he's a cool character. He is, you know, the, the prototype that Thanos was based off of. But as badass as he is here, and he is very badass, particularly in the flashback scene where he kills a lantern. I think they needed to do what Marvel did with Thanos. You know, in the comics, Thanos' motivation is to impress the physical embodiment of death. So he's basically horny as balls for a female Grim Reaper. That, that's it. Now they understandably change that in the movies because it's just bananas to see that in live action, to see that in a medium where you need to take things a little bit more seriously. As in the comics, Darkseid here is after the anti-life equation, which would give him dominion over all life in the multiverse. Yet here in the Snyder Cut, when he's launching into his mustache-twirling evil monologue, it sounds just so hilariously generic and cartoonish in oh, like no. live action. Oh no. It's hard to take it seriously, even though he's badass in the movie. And I think they would have tweaked it. They should have tweaked it because what works in the comics and what works in animation does not work here in live action beat for beat. So I, I really think that was a major stumbling point to what was otherwise a very badass introduction because it's just hard for me to invest in this guy going like, and now I will have control over all the universes, the anti-life equation. It's just ridiculous. Like I'm Damn. unintentionally hilarious. I am kind of embarrassed about something that I'm going to say later now, but um, look, <laughs> I think that, and that, and this is sort of a general theme with this film, right? The bar that Steppenwolf had to clear was so absurdly low that he was always going to clear it, right? Listen, I still think Steppenwolf's generic too, but just based on character design alone, like, yeah, that's all I needed. Nailed it. And again, like, (laughs) comic book films have never, you know, outside of The Dark Knight, you know, have any of them really been noted for their rich villains? Like, I I think Killmonger is one of the most sophisticated things ever put in mainstream cinema. Mainstream blockbuster cinema. I think he's overhyped because that. of be, because of how he meets his literal inner child, and it works. Like, come on, man! What more do you want? Even even that one, right? I'm saying that uh, a strong villain in a comic book film is not really a co- a, a common occurrence. Yeah, but they also don't have to be that. cartoonish. Yeah. So point being is, I think they fill a role here, right? They're Chekhov's guns, right? They're just there to 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 let you know that there's bad guys in the shadows and that they're gonna pop up at some time. They're not there to blow you away with wow the the depth of their goals. I disagree. Amazing. Okay. I, I think just because you know Marvel and mainstream comic book movies haven't always produced good villains doesn't mean it's an excuse for you to punt. If yeah, you can yeah, create yeah. a three-dimensional Agreed. character that really is is understandable and relatable and makes good points and makes you think and makes you feel, you should always go for it, which either of course side, you should. Of regardless course. of the I'm side not, they, they, they I'm not are. saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying that they don't. They don't here, okay. no. Because But Darkseid himself is still badass and well-designed. Ironically, the villain that I think has the biggest improvement, which I think is just legitimately fucking hilarious, is that Jesse Eisenberg, in two minutes on screen, figured out how to play Lex. 
Like, I was so flabbergasted that my only two thoughts here, was he so absurd in BVS because Snyder told him to? Did he see his performance back and realize how bad it was? The character himself mentions that the Arkham doctors have put him on drugs. He says that. So was this a screenwriting plan to have him start out as this manic man-child and then turn into the Lex we know? I'm not sure. I'm someone who said I think that Lex is the worst part of BVS by a mile. Second. I think if they cast Brian Cranston in that role, we're looking at an entirely different movie. (laughs) Like that's how bad I think he was because it's like he's in a different movie unto himself. So the fact that in a post credit scene, teasing a storyline that will never come, that he finally figured out the Lex character is unbelievable. I can't believe it. I did not catch the uh, the meds part. So that is actually a very good observation that kind of goes against what I'm about to say. But my huge problem with it, I'm like, this is a, a literally entirely different person. He is not the same person because in BVS, <laughs> he is incapable utterly incapable of holding normal conversation. He can't make a speech at his own company's party without devolving into a nonsensical like a philosophical laughter. mess. Yeah, and, and and not only showing rage and outburst, but a, a scattered mind that could not hold a single thought. He is so full of tics and mannerisms that he is basically seems like he, he does need meds, which now actually makes sense because here he is, Suave, calm, cool, collected, understated, calculated, un, you know, very <laughs> subtle in his things. It's fucking so absurd. It's in, that, that's what bothered me, but I did not catch the meds thing. And like, that honestly could have been added in to be like, hey, they were such a bad reaction. We have to explain why he's better yeah, here. Yeah, so do you think it's a storytelling choice? How do you I explain don't know. that? I don't know. I, I j- it's just one of those absolutely crazy things. It's like I wasn't going to give him credit because he was a completely different character. But like the that's, meds thing that's the Lex point. I want to see. Where was that guy? Because he's an, a supremely talented actor. We know he has it in his wheelhouse. How that went so wrong the first time, you got to think that that's on Zach. And that is, and that sort of brings us back down to earth, right? Like there were reports that Zach wanted these films to have a Bruce Wayne, Lois Lane love story and while i get that there are comic book bases for that one of my favorite childhood cartoons when the batman animated series crossed over with superman there is a love plot with bruce wayne and lois lane but superman's alive he's not fucking her behind his back you know yeah and then this as well i don't know who else to pin the lex thing on except him because you gotta think eisenberg knows who the lex luther character is he didn't show up on day one like everybody i've been working on some stuff honestly i don't know about that because i could see him this kind of cerebral intellectual person in in real life being like i want to completely reinvent the character and then like everyone was just like uh okay we'll let you do that i guess okay yeah but uh so it was just i really wanted to touch on that because it was so striking to me as you said it best it's an entirely new character go watch it back he mentions real quick Arkham doctors and pills. It just does like, it's funny that like if I broke out of Arkham Asylum, I, I probably 
wouldn't stay on the pills. But yeah, she but must he have been like, yeah, probably realized oh, fuck, oh, I needed these. He's probably like, oh wow, I'm way less annoying. Um, imagine what he could have accomplished had he just been on the medicine the entire time. He might have never became a villain. He just might have just been a, a very positive titan of industry who helped the right. world. Right, right. But as an extension of that Lex part, uh, we also get the the introduction and the never again seen Joe Manganello as Deathstroke. It would have been really, really, really cool to have seen Deathstroke, Deathstroke armed with the knowledge of Batman's true identity wreak havoc on Bruce Wayne's life, both physically and mentally, in Ben Affleck's The Batman, which was the plan originally. That would have been cool. I'm not, of course, I'm not saying like, oh, I want that instead of Matt Reeves' Batman, which looks amazing. But man, that is somewhat of a missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it was going to be inspired by the Arkham asylum game which finds batman trapped in arkham trying to get out as all of the villains from his past jump in to fuck his shit up real quick deathstroke you know as i've said ceaselessly the warehouse scene in bbs is one of my favorite batman on-screen moments ever deathstroke's talents are so conducive to that style of yeah. action sequence there was a uh, a trailer for arkham origins which was the third game in the franchise and was a prequel to the first two that was like a cinematic trailer right and it features and i'm sure you've seen it at some point because i think i've tweeted it postgrad it's like a cinematic trailer of batman battling deathstroke in the snow and people have always wished like just literally do what you did here and put it in a good movie and we'll be hyped and that is what we probably would have gotten and there's been long running, I don't know if I'd call them rumors, because they're not really rumors, they're more like prayers of a the of a Ben Affleck Batman HBO Max series. Look, dude, of course I signed up for that. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna happen, but like would I watch it? Yeah, of course. But if they were to do like that Deathstroke storyline, even to this day, I still think that that film or show would do well. I think it would do well too. I, I doubt they're gonna go that route. But yeah, if it happened, would I watch it? Yeah, of course. You know, I'm not right. crazy. I think the last major plot point or, or sequence of sorts to talk about is the nightmare sequence to me and the, uh, the ancient battle, which we've touched on a little bit. Now, I have said repeatedly, Eric, that the nightmare sequence does not work for me. And I, I really, really did not like them here because... To me, they continue to make little sense and they continue to draw attention away from a main story to set up future stories in a poor way. I understand the basic premise of these alternate timeline nightmare sequences. At some point in the future, Lois dies and Superman becomes evil. And yet nothing, Eric, nothing whatsoever suggests that that's remotely possible given every ounce of screen time Superman has ever had. Nothing about his character over several movies puts it within the remote realm of possibility that he would turn so evil he'd help destroy the world. So I think these massive chunks of flat future teases hinge on a character pivot that hasn't yet remotely been set up or earned. And, and as an extension of that, I think they provide an unnecessary detour from what is otherwise a pretty solid and sound regular Justice League story. So I would have them much rather plunge us into some sort of nightmare reality, something that actually did happen, maybe a time jump after Darkseed had maybe- Darkseid, you did it again. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, no, I, I want you to point that out. I apologize. 
uh, after Darkseid had maybe beaten a soupsless Justice League before they re resurrected him, rather than this silly, look at what might happen if shit goes wrong, false flag. And then to tack on the epilogue on top of it, I felt it was needless, shot poorly, which in Snyder's defense, he did it in his backyard. So he did it. No, 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 no. You're wrong. He said he wanted to do it like oh. that. Like he said to Ben, he said to Ben, we could just do it in my yard, but then ultimately did it the right way. Okay, well then that makes that's it even more egregious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I will say by Zach's own admission, it was only there to bring Batman and Joker together in his last DC. Which is entry. a good point. That's no, no, that is a good point because I understand that in the DCAU they have to meet. But that means it didn't do anything to service the story at hand and that its goal was outside of the Justice League tale. In a vacuum, it was to accomplish a side ambition that added nothing to the story. And frankly, from a literal perspective, from a reading too much into it perspective, there's no fucking reason why Batman would need Joker in that the Joker adds nothing to taking on evil soups and dark side. So, so all of those reasons, I just- Well, there was, I, a, there was a theory that Joker may have known the location of something important. Fine, but then show us that in the film. If you don't, I, I, I come back to the Star Wars Force Awakens example. I always say on Twitter all the time that it doesn't matter what Kylo Ren and Ben Solo ultimately do. You can forgive him, but he's not capable of redemption after he helped destroy five planets, like 25 billion people. And everyone on Twitter is always like, well, if you read the novelization, he was actually quite conflicted. If you need supplementary material to explain your movie, then you failed at a basic storytelling premise level. And I think that's you know the same here. It doesn't matter what the theory is, unless they explicitly says it in the movie, it doesn't fucking matter to me. Oh yeah, and the ancient battle's dope. It's just ruined by the terrible heavy-handed exposition voiceover. But otherwise, yeah. it's dope because Darkseid kills a Green Lantern and I never knew how badly I needed to see that until I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to touch on the ancient battle quick. I agree with you in terms of the voiceover feeling forced, but at the same time, it's like that, if they're gonna deliver exposition about Darkseid's goals and what the boxes do. That's how I'm going to want them to do it, right? Like, they had to do it somehow. I, I mean, wouldn't you have rather just that action scene play out and you're fully in the moment where you're yeah, hearing Darkseid else? But how else are they going to explain those key points that he once came here and lost? Just say, like, Desan said it in his little stupid, you know, let's talk through a rock. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> I think you're right. I think it would have been better without it, but uh, it's not enough to ruin it for me. Yeah, um, you're willing to forgive that. I get that. Right. I want to point out that this was shot before Endgame. So this sort That's of... so weird. So this sort of Game of Thrones style battle where all of the forces of man combined for the greater good, as far as my brain knows, hadn't really happened in comic book film yet, as far as I can recall. So like, had Snyder been able to beat the MCU to this punch, I think it would have impacted that much harder. But with respect, we've seen a variation of that in blockbusters before. You know, every medieval yes. swords and sandals, Lord of the Rings. But I'm you know, talking specifically... Comic book film. Okay, okay. Specifically, Aries popping up was fucking dope. I thought that was really cool. Was really cool. Really cool tie-in that I didn't expect. That same time, the Green Lantern 
doing nothing but shooting a green energy blast was a major letdown. Let's get creative. Let's I, get I want him to get creative, but I've also been re-watching the animated Justice League because I fucking love that show. And he does that a lot. There's a lot of just, you know, blasts or walls. And I'm like, man, I you have the power of imagination. And, yeah, I remember like hammers and fists. and Yeah, like let's, let's pick it up a little bit. Especially so for now. an alien who's been across the cosmos. Like you thought he would have seen some shit. So I just didn't want to close out this podcast and not touch on that scene. Now, the nightmare sequence. I was so like... I don't want to say excited because excited is the wrong word that that implies I was looking forward to it. I was like uh, eager, eager for dunk. the nightmare scene to such an extent that I recorded my entire reaction to it. That I'll Please send on. that to me after. Well, no, I sent you the clip. Remember? You, no, you, no, you sent me only a screenshot. I could, there was nothing. No, I sent you the clip of where I looked at you and I said, wait, so he doesn't say we live in a society. No, I didn't. I didn't. I only saw like a picture. Oh man! You gotta All resend right. it. I'll play it on on the. I should do a right reaction now. video of my of my reaction to your reaction video. So I <laughs> reaction really session. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll tack on the whole nine minute reaction at the end of this podcast. If you're a, a sicko and want to hear that, but here here's the clip. Here's the clip that I sent you. You mean tell me that they filmed that whole action shit? Safe. I just want to give Leto a second chance. <laughs> the nightmare sequence was nothing except. <laughs> then it has the four automatic race sweep but... <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> Yo, give that the Oscar for best short right now there. Mind you, mind you, and as I, this is the screenshot I sent you. This is when Batman said, I'll fucking kill you. And I was like, whoa, dude. Um, <laughs> mind you that I'm taping this video. I had already started partying. It was a Saturday night. Like me and my oh, boys. Oh yeah, this is when chill. you texted me. When me and my boys are chilling. We're, we're, you know, we've got some college ball. We've had some beers. At like 11.15, they pull through with the screener. I asked my boy, like, I'm who, is, who is a who's a big nerd as well, and I was like, "Dude, do I gotta go do this right now?" He's like, "Absolutely." Did he <laughs> so come watch with you? He watched with me the next day, but uh, I cannot believe you you went in again. Not not for any quality reasons, just for length reasons. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, but that, but that's the thing. Like, once I've seen it, I can nap through half of it and not give a fuck. Uh, point being is that so I I recorded that at like five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> just it's absolutely strung out. So let yeah, you me texted me at five thirty in the morning. Sunday so let morning. Me just, so, so I will post that whole video at the end, Brandon. I'll I'll send it to you. Yes. Um, <laughs> what do I want to say about this? The nightmare sequence in the film where Diana is being burned on a pyre and Darkseid kills Aquaman and Superman that was cool. holds Lois's burnt body and there's a dead green lantern. That shit was compelling. I want to know what happened to Diana. I was like, whoa, dude. Because, like, her family is there putting her to rest. Like, they didn't get obliterated. Like, like something fucking, like, something dr 
this is not a great word for it, but like something dramatic happened. Like her body is intact. She didn't just get burnt to a crisp, right? Like they've retrieved the body and are putting her at rest. I was super compelled. Darkseid unleashing his mega beams underwater while he kills Arthur with his own trident. Like that was fucking cool. The Omega Beams was one of my favorite moments. And again, I don't like the nightmare sequences, but like you can't have Darkseid in, li- in live action without one Omega Beam. And like, yeah, but you yeah, didn't think we got that, those, that those combo of scenes were sick? I mean, dude, again, Diana it, being put to rest on a pyre? What? Listen, it's the same thing that I apply to Days of Future Past, which I really, really liked. I really liked Days of Future Past a lot. But in the first scene of Days of Future Past, everyone dies and then they rewind time so as to immediately say to the audience, there are no stakes in this movie. Nothing matters. And so for this to happen in an alternate timeline that is completely contingent on a character pivot that I think is absurd and isn't going to happen and hasn't been earned, I'm like, okay, well, you might as well be showing me Snyder's notes from the script that didn't make it into the film because it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. That's that's my opinion. So, you know, and that is how I feel about the nightmare at the end, the part that's tacked on. And, and what, what I said to you was, I respect him knowing better to not shoehorn that into the meat of the film and to just put it on at the end so you could sort of view it in a vacuum and not as in part with the film as a whole. I literally DM'd a friend. I was like, yo, I'm like, I only have like 10 minutes left. Did I miss the Leto scene? Like what's going on? <laughs> He's like, he was like, dot, dot, dot. Like just wait, like frowny face. So, and I know that I'm going to be hounded on this because of the way that Leto is my mortal enemy, but was it better? Of course it was better. Okay. Yeah. What are we supposed to say? There was one scene where when they caught to him full face for the first time, I was taken aback. This is a very terrifying looking Joker. He looked horrifying. Like you could put him in a horror film and that would be its villain. And you'd be like, oh, word. In terms of performance, there's a lot of lingering aspects that look, yes, he's not dressed up in gold chains and gold teeth. and But there are still just odd characterizations, showmanship that while I get that's part of who the Joker is, in the context in which he does it, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think he's saying anything particularly profound. Like that's like- Agreed. The Joker's strength is like, despite his insanity, he'll say shit and you'll be like, fuck, he's got a good point there. I think he has an insight to the darkest aspects of humanity that is also the most universal of us. We are all capable of the dark shit Joker's into. And he has a keen insight into that. But I don't think he has a keen insight into what that means to him, right? What Heath Ledger's take on it, what made that so great was because he had a purpose. He had a reason. You understood exactly what he was going for and it made fucking sense. To this day, I don't understand what this Joker, like you said, what's he doing there? What good could he possibly contribute? So while I think it's a overall improvement and I think for Leto's sake and the DCEU's sake to give him that second chance was good. Had he been this version the whole time, who who knows how I would feel about it now. But was it enough of a night and day performance as parts of the rest of this film were to the extent where I'm like, we got to give him a second chance? Absolutely not. Dark night and day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was completely, the epilogue was completely and utterly unnecessary. And if he was going to add five minutes of new footage, 
I, I God, I wish it was anywhere else. Let's jump into the awards and categories to tie a bow on this Snyder Cut podcast. Uh, Real MVP award, Cyborg. Dedicated arc, best improvement from the theatrical to this one. Like I said, always thought Cyborg was boring in every medium. Here, liked him a lot. Wow. I'm going with fans. This was 100% worth it. Getting a definitive ending to Man of Steel and BVS, awesome. Zack Snyder for lacing up his bootstraps and finishing the fucking project between what I'm sure are the ghosts of his daughter wrapped around this film combined with the pressure and the expectation for what fans wanted it to be. It's a massive personal and artistic and both of those things separate and intertwined achievement. And regardless of how you feel about his actual talent or skill, as a human being, him getting this over the line is impressive. Now, is there a villain that could have made this movie better? To me, Steppenwolf is not a villain with a lot of name recognition among casual fans. Even I had no clue who he was when Justice League details began pouring out several years ago. Uh, I think in retrospect, it does make some sort of sense as a prelude introduction to Darkseid, but... Steppenwolf here to me is still pretty generic and boring despite the better character design. So probably it could have been improved. I I don't know what that is though. Okay. I'm going to say in this, no, but to cheat, I would have rather we gotten a man of steel two before this instead. And had we gotten that the villain would have been dope for that is Brainiac. You and I have been on the, on the live action Brainiac bandwagon for sure. Yeah. But unfortunately, as I said at the top, Given Snyder's vision for Clark Kent, I can't imagine how Man of Steel would have ever happened. I mean, once it underperformed at the box office, it it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. All right, the Jared Leto Award for the film's worst performance. Uh, Ezra Miller for me. I'm I'm I have been waiting weeks to hear your answer to this question. Joss Whedon. <laughs> Fair enough. I told That's, you. It's well the played. The man is a war criminal. That's well played. The Jim Gordon Award for best performance from a non-superhero slash best performance by a non-star. I think Joe Morton, who plays Silas Stone and also played Miles Dyson in Terminator 2, he's good here. He's very good in a small role. Yeah, I was going to go with him. I instead went with Jeremy Irons. I was previously critical of Alfred Shoehorn's quips, but just like all of the jokes in this film, it's more balanced here. And I think Alfred finds that nice, he toes the line between legitimately helpful and like funny peanut gallery. (laughs) That's well said. All right. The pleasantly surprising cameo or casting. Mine's great. Yours? I I have a question. Does dark side count? As a surprise? As a cameo of sorts, because it is a cameo. I mean, of I'm sorts. not going to tell you no. All right, well then, mine's Dark Side. All right, I'm going with David Thulis. 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 Thulis as Ares. I thought that was really fucking cool, especially since he delivers the fucking killer blow. No, that's Zeus. No, that's Ares, the Axe Man. Oh, oh, the Axe is yeah. No, you're the Axe is Ares. You're right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Lightning, which, by yeah. the way, just Zeus and Ares back to back, really cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the best and worst lines of dialogue. The best to me, not impressed. Just a great fucking entrance for Superman. Like way to just come correct. And the worst, <laughs> literally everything said in the epilogue. Every single word. <laughs> All right. For best, I've got daughters of Themyscira. Show him your fear. Who? We have no fear. That, Dude, that is 300 right there, baby. That was better than 300. Honestly. That was dumb. <laughs> Oh, 
man, so hype. The mascara gets a, a glow up. Uh, yeah, dude. Dude, go back and watch chapter one and think about me saying how unreal good it is. And then you're going to be like, oh my God, this is, I'm serious. No, I'm serious. All right. I'll go back and watch it at some point. <laughs> um, And that's why I'm embarrassed to say because of how you shit on him. Dude, dark side speech. Oh, dude. All right, but your prize is that I will do a dark side voice for it. Okay, okay hit me. <clears throat> and when this world wait no sorry I, I gotta go deeper i gotta go deeper i don't know if i can <clears throat> and when this world is scorched i will come for my great prize i have turned one hundred thousand worlds to dust looking for anti-life looking for those who robbed me of my glory I will stride across their bones and bask in the glow of anti-life and all of existence shall be mine. <laughs> Warner Brothers, get at my man, Eric Italiano. Listen, I'm his agent. I'm his agent. I get 10%. When I, uh, when I sent you the Batman teaser for this and you were like, that may be the best piece of marketing that they've yeah. done yet. I felt that way about the dark side speech. I was like, whoa, dude, you want to talk about, because look, Brandon. I can't believe we are so on opposite ends. On they, are, they, are, they are trying to portray, you forget that we are not who they are trying to enlighten. They are trying to cut across to the average fan, right? They're trying to sell a villain that most people haven't heard of. And they've got one scene to be like, you need to be as scared of this guy as any villain you've ever seen. So if you're trying to do that in one paragraph, and when this world is scorched, I will come for my great prize. I have turned 100,000 worlds to dust looking for anti-life, which even if you don't know what that means, just bad news, doesn't sound good. Looking for those who rob me of my glory. And because you know what glory he's talking about, you're like, oh man, this dude got stabbed in the fucking chest. I'm sure he's not stoked about that. I will stride across their bones and bask in the glow of anti-life these are bars to me i think they're bars so they're trying to sell a villain that not everyone's familiar with and to do so they use the same exact motivation and generic vanilla middle of the road i'm a bad guy bullshit as every single other superhero blockbuster and normal blockbuster how is this any different from riz Ahmed and venom being like Oh, humanity needs to be fucking course corrected. But how is that dark? But how is that? That's a flaw of comic books. That's not a flaw of DC and Warner. Warner yeah, it Brothers. is because they are filmmakers. They have every opportunity but to change it. But that's what Dark Side Steez is. To he, modernize it. But that's, that's, they did the same thing out. for Thanos. They did the same thing for Thanos where they changed yeah. his comic book motivation for the better. But they had the benefit of patience, which is the key that I'm trying to unlock here is that you have to take everything Snyder did within the context of the timeline that the studio had him on. He didn't have five, six years to build up Darkseid as this in the shadows threat. He had that scene. No, he didn't. And, and he, in that scene, he chose to do the dumbest, stupidest reinterpretation of an already hilarious on the page, unintentionally hilarious on wow. the page, generic 
motivation. This is no different than every bad guy we've ever seen in every blockbuster. He's exactly the same. The only thing that separates him is that he has a badass character design. That's we it. disagree a lot, but I think this is as far apart as we've ever been on like one particular thing. I agree. Cause like, I've also talked to a ton of people who are like, Jesus, that sounded so hilariously bad and cartoonish. Oh my live God. Action. Wow. Okay. Next. Guys, let us know at postcred pod. Thumbs up, thumbs down for Darkseid's motivation. Not his character design, not how cool he fucking looks, not how badass he is. That speech- The monologue, the monologue. Anti-life equation, I just want to control all life. I have yes, a but hard that is, on but for that's ridiculous the character, shit. Brandon. Brandon, but, but that's the character. That but is you his can goal. change the character for the better to better fit the medium, as we've seen in other superhero okay. comic book adaptations. That's fair. Okay, that's fair. All right, the Rewind That Real Quick Award. Flashback scene. Ruined by the heavy-handed exposition, like we said, but man, that's fucking cool. It's world-building. It's it's every culture we want to know more about being badass together. Right. Okay. Great call. I'm going with all those vignettes. Lois Lane going to Superman's grave. Aquaman walking out onto that jetty. Flash saving Iris West and Superman choosing his suit. What bums me out is that Batman did not get one, but... Wow, good point. I, I didn't really realize that in retrospect, but nice, yeah. The game went to Lois Lane and not Batman. So, but also, uh, still, where does your mileage end up on those scenes? Because they're very heavily scored. There's two songs by Nick Cave used <laughs> in these. And I feel like how people feel about those scenes could be expanded to how they'll feel about the film as a whole, right? If you're not on board with those superfluous, extravagant, close-up movie star moments, then you probably won't be on board with this film. So where are you on those? My take is it starts good and becomes grating over the course of four hours in which it's overused. You know, after after several hours, I'm like, okay, we get it, enough. So like, yeah. I, like I said at the top, I like that it goes for a mythic kind of uh, uh, vibe. But at a certain point, it becomes way overdone and overwrought. Okay. Uh, put this in the museum award, which is a funny thing that I'm about to say that kind of flips the coin on what I just said. Differenta uh, <laughs> differentiation. There's no right or wrong answer. And versatility is good, all things considered. And I really like both approaches. Marvel builds, builds their heroes to be relatable, everyday people that are extremely grounded in the real world that are just thrust into extreme circumstances or happen upon extreme abilities. DC's heroes historically have been treated more like these mythic, mythic figures we've been talking about. Impossible gods alienated from humanity. That dichotomy to me is very interesting and I think it keeps the superhero genre from uh, growing stale, even when handled, handled heavy-handedly sometimes. I read this in a review this week and I didn't write down where it was. I forget, I'm sorry. If somebody out there knows, please let me know so I could give them credit. But they said, if Marvel is making comic book films, then what DC and Zach were trying to do was make graphic novel. And I think that's an, I, I think when looking at, especially the way that this is broken down by chapters and vignettes, I think that that is very apt here. And that's sort of to your point. That's kind of the point you just made, Brandon. I, I mean, listen, I, I don't know if jarring whiplash of nonsensical plotting for the first couple DC films really counts as graphic novel adaptations. But I get what you mean. I get what um, you mean. All right. So my put that in the museum award, which if you're new here is pretty much like the one part of this film that we want to enshrine, uh, that we want to keep 
other than the rehabilitation of the Justice League in general, I'm going to say that first time that they all fight as a team is just great stuff. As I said, you get a real sense of the space that they're in and how they could all help in that moment and how they're learning to work as a team for the first time. All right, the best hero moment. Eric, if we're taking this extremely literally, then Uh there's only one option for the best hero moment. And that is Lois Lane calming down Superman after his resurrection because they literally, the Justice League, Batman literally did not have any semblance of a plan whatsoever. And if she hadn't just so happened to be there, they'd all be dead. So she's the fucking big hero of Justice League. I am going with everything Diana says and does. (laughs) She's not afraid of Steppenwolf. She's not afraid of Superman. She almost gets twisted enjoyment from the challenge. She's the first one to step in front of the boom tube. She chops Steppenwolf's fucking dome piece off. That was awesome. That was a great message. Everything Wonder Woman does in this film even if it's just standing there painting some ancient sculpture is heroic. She is a, as I said at the top, a fucking warrior, like the warrior goddess that she's meant to be. She is that through this entire film. And when you contrast that with how she was used in Wonder Woman 84, it, it blows the mind to think how, how they tapped into, and that's why the World War I setting was the perfect time period for her, yeah. right? It allowed well, yeah. her to to be this this barbaric warrior. That's what she is. She's back to that here in every moment she's on screen and it's phenomenal. All right, Eric, what's the worst thing you can say about this movie? And you can't say Jared Leto. I'm not. (laughs) That despite his obvious talents and how much I enjoy this film and how much I enjoy most of his work, I don't think Snyder was ever the right fit for an entire cinematic universe a superman franchise where his stylings could be contained sure i'd love to see it and still would they came out he's saying man of steel 2 is in the works with him i'd be hyped i think time is going to be kind to that film i think we're seeing it already i think that the legend around that film is growing but despite all that i think his overtly soul crushingly mythological approach While I enjoy and admire it, it becomes more exhausting the bigger it becomes. Yes, I could deal with it in this film, but over the course of an entire franchise, I don't think that Zack Snyder has the right emotional levels to make a sustainable franchise. And I think that that's where they went wrong. His vision for a certain, his vision and his style and his way of filmmaking could be wonderfully applied to one character, but I think when applied en masse, It's just too much weight. So for me, I think this is a bloated, overly long, poorly paced cul-de-sac of plot points that could have been edited down into a far better two-hour, 20-ish movie. Uh, And it is a reward for a campaign that had had many normal, good-natured fans, but was also made up of strong contingent of toxic, hostile harassers. So I am worried about the precedent in sense long-term. Eric, what's the best thing, nicest thing you can say about this movie? Well, it's spiel time. Do you have one? Uh, A quick one. Go ahead. It is a mostly coherent, cohesive blockbuster superhero team up with a more hopeful mythic quality that I want to see from Justice League that kind of is reminiscent of the animated Justice League. And despite its length, it's just a pretty consistently decent movie. 
So as I said at the top, all societies, cultures from every corner of the world have myths, have legends from the Greek to the Norse, to the Romans, to the Japanese, to the Chinese. And it's in these stories and these tales that cultures are revealed. Their ideals crystallize for the world to see. They not only define who we were and who we are, but who we hope to one day be, where idealism, heroism, humanity, and its inherent nature collide. And in the brief history of American culture, superheroes have become our titans and their stories are myths. Zack Snyder understands this, and it's in this understanding that he crafts a truly glorious epic that's worthy of these iconic heroes despite its flaws. In 2017, Justice League was stolen from us. Regardless of its quality, the ending to a story that both fans and creators alike had invested years into was callously and unceremoniously stripped down and reassembled until it was an unrecognizable skeleton of the vision that it was intended to be. The studio knew it, Joss Whedon knew it, Snyder knew it, and we knew it. And now, four years later, at the conclusion of what's been the most fascinating saga of my entire entertainment career. And I really mean that. I've never seen anything like this. That right has been miraculously wrong through a nearly impossible intersection of historic circumstances, the pandemic, the dawn of the streaming age, the unprecedented social media movement that was the genesis of the Snyder Cut to begin with. Time has been rewound, history rewritten, the masses came together to fight for what they believed in, a fight that was not for what the story was about, but the very story itself and the right to tell it. The battle has been fought and the tale has been told. It's become legend. It's become myth. That's what the Justice League is. Eric Italiano, patented spiel. Again, Warner Brothers, get at him. I'm his agent. I get 10%. Trademark spiel. That's the 15 percent Jew in me that could just spiel it out. There you go, man. If you catch this on cable, are you watching? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because of its length, you can just pop in at any hour and like, oh, I'll watch 30 minutes here or 30 minutes there. It's perfect for that. It's the it's the converse for me. It, because it's four hours, I'm probably not popping in. I'm just okay. I'm just not. Do you want a sequel? For me, no, because I'm largely excited by what DC has in the pi- pipeline. So I'm good to move on to the next era. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I'm on no. I would like a Man of Steel 2, but the idea of Superman going bad is a cooler idea on paper than I think it would actually be in film. So I'm not really interested in seeing that story develop, despite how much of a spectacle, like a genuine spectacle, a bad Superman film would be. Like it's that like the scene be. in The Boys where, where Homelander, Homelander imagines that he laser visions like, you know, a crowd of hundreds. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it would like, you know, you know, it would be a thematic disaster. But in terms of like palpable action, it'd be nuts. Yeah, it would be absolutely nuts. All right, stuff that we think is cool that needs mentioning. I don't have anything. I have one. Dr. Ryan Choi, who is Silas Stone's assistant, is a superhero named Adam in the comic books. There you go. Nice little fun fact. To end this massively bloated pod about a massively bloated movie that was still pretty good, just like this pod, we are going to give our updated DCEU rankings. Are you ready for this, Eric? Uh-huh. All right, I'm going to start. I go Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, Shazam, Birds of Prey, Zack Snyder Justice League, Batman v Superman, Aquaman, Suicide Squad, Justice League Theatrical. All right. We have the same first two. I'm going Man of Steel 1, Wonder Woman 2, and in third place, Zack Snyder's Justice League. 
coming in at the top three, four, BBS, five, Birds of Prey, six, Aquaman, seven, Shazam, eight, Suicide Squad, nine, Justice League. Man. We, we have some conflicting viewpoints on things. Yes, but I have brought you around to Man of Steel. I'm going to hold on to that one. Well, well you got to remember, it was like my number two, and then it became my number one. So it's not like it went from last place to first place. Yes, but if you're not first, you're last. So second to first is a huge jump. I guess. I mean, out of nine films, I guess. <laughs> All right, right, well, that'll do it for our Whoa, Zack So Snyder overall, Justice. Brandon, I mean, look... Seven out of 10, 70 out of 100. That's my Yeah, opinion. I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. I am. I really am. It's unbelievable to me how like normal it is, despite the fact that it's a four hour R-rated movie. <laughs> it's, it's, I can't believe we're even sitting here talking about it. I know. If you'd I asked know. me three years ago, I would be like, it's never going to come. No, there is no such thing as the Justice League. And just like that, it's over unless the restore the Snyderverse crowd. Oh God, please no. Uh, all right, but guess what, fuckers? We'll talk to you guys again on Friday with our normal show. Falcon and Winter Soldier premiere, Falcon which we've both seen. Yeah, no. I oh, have seen it? Again, again, oh, there's, there's, no, there's no need to flex on me. No, I wasn't flexing. I'm busting your balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll cash that shit Friday and we'll pot about it. And you're saying it's dope, so. Sneak peek. It's, it's a really good premiere. Oh, fuck yeah. All right, cool. All right. All right, y'all. Talk to you Friday. Peace. Make him an offer, guys. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. simultaneously the best choice the best choice and the worst choice because there's no need to do it but if they were going to do it i guess the end is the best okay it's almost 5 a.m because warner didn't drop the screeners until midnight for me
knows exactly what it's like to lose somebody else. You know, like a, a father. Like a mother. Be very careful with the next thing you say. Second adopted son. Oh, Robin. Isn't that right? Legitimately scary. This is longer than I thought it would be. I would like to know what happened. Still there. 
know what happened to Diana. good these days though for this is definitely a reshoot he looks nice and thin yo what Zach should have done is fuck the love story with Lois Lane it should have been with Diana with Diana Prince Bruce losing Diana at the hands of Clark would have been way more intense Sweet, but <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> 